0: Charges of manslaughter against two officers and obstruction of justice against three others who are accused of telling witnesses to delete any cell phone video. We begin tonight with an appeal from the RCMP. They have arrested a former Mountie in Calgary, charged him with sexual assault against eight young boys and fear there may be more victims. Human Rights Watch is accusing RCMP officers of physically and sexually abusing aboriginal girls and women in northern British Columbia. A former RCMP officer is behind bars tonight starting a lengthy prison sentence. Three months after being found guilty of stealing 10 kilograms of cocaine from an RCMP evidence locker, a Supreme Court judge has formally sentenced Greg Burnett. Yes, you heard right. The men being arrested, charged and jailed in these news reports are RCMP officers, members of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, Canada's national police force. Killing Indigenous men, sexually abusing boys, physically and sexually assaulting Indigenous women and girls, and a host of other crimes these are just a few of the stories that we will cover throughout Season 1 of this podcast. The RCMP are celebrating their 150th anniversary this year, describing themselves as quote, an internationally recognized symbol of Canada that stands for safety and security. Yet, few inside or outside the RCMP are celebrating. In fact, the RCMP are struggling to recruit and retain officers, especially women and Indigenous peoples. But for good reason. Despite dedicating significant time, effort, and resources into protecting their public image, the RCMP cannot outrun the many reports, inquiries, commissions, and investigations into their toxic organization let alone the number of individual officers racking up criminal charges like the crimes we profiled in the opening of this show. So what's going on inside the RCMP? I have friends who joined the RCMP with hopes of forging good relations in communities. They were good people. There are veterans of the RCMP who dedicated their lives to dismantling child porn rings, stopping human trafficking, and catching serial killers. Are these officers the few Good Apples in an increasingly toxic organization rife with criminality, corruption, and cover-ups? At what point did the Good Apples become outnumbered by the Bad Apples? How did the RCMP fall from its carefully constructed pedestal as a national icon to become Canada's Royal Canadian Mountain Problem? Over the course of this podcast, I hope to answer these questions and many more. Hi, my name is Dr. Pam Palmiter, and I'm the creator and host of this podcast, Criminals on Patrol. I'm a member of Ugbeganjig, otherwise known as Eel River Bar First Nation, which is part of the much larger Mi'kmaq nation that straddles the Canada-U.S. border. I'm a lawyer, professor, author, and expert on Indigenous issues, human rights, and policing. Criminals on Patrol, or COP for short, is an exciting new podcast that exposes what goes on behind the thin blue line of policing all over North America in a quest for transparency, accountability, and radical change. This show turns the true crime podcast genre on its head, and instead of following cops chasing alleged criminals, we follow police organizations that protect crooked cops. From gratuitous brutality and sexualized violence, to drug dealing, human trafficking, and falsifying evidence, we will expose it all. And while season one is focused on the RCMP, these problems can be found in most, if not all police forces to varying degrees. Criminals on Patrol is the culmination of more than two decades of legal, policy, and social research that I have done on widespread police criminality, corruption, and cover-ups, and the shocking lack of accountability by police agencies and their unions. The many interviews, criminal cases, investigations, and reports that will be presented in this show will challenge the prevalent myth of a few bad apples, and blow open the dark side of the thin blue line of policing. Over the course of each season, I'll focus on one specific police force. In Season 1, we will cast our attention to the RCMP, our Royal Canadian Mounted Problem, and try to answer questions surrounding the RCMP's persistent failures to hold their members to account for violent and criminal behaviours. Why are there so many calls to defund and dismantle the RCMP? What's going on inside the force? Is the RCMP imploding? Is reconciliation with Indigenous peoples even possible in a police force that was designed to suppress Indigenous peoples? Do we even need the RCMP anymore? and what are the alternatives? All these questions and more will be considered through an analysis of the facts. I know. Can you imagine? Facts. This will not be another angry podcast full of empty baseless rhetoric trying to appeal to conspiracy theorists in order to trigger the algorithm and get more listeners. This show will be based on the facts as we know them facts as reported in the media, but also the many findings contained in the reports and investigations of the RCMP. Our analysis will also be informed by interviews with former RCMP officers, policing experts, lawyers, journalists, academics, authors, human rights advocates, and community members, all of whom have lived experiences and valuable insights. So some of you might be asking, why? Why this podcast? Why not a show featuring hero cops? The short answer is that there is more than enough copaganda shows out there featuring hero police officers rescuing cats from trees and handing out ice cream to kids. Police agencies spend millions of dollars on PR campaigns every year. With any social issue... I believe it should be covered from all angles and all perspectives. Even the bad stuff we don't want to know and wish wasn't true. That's not to say that some cops haven't done heroic things. Some have literally saved lives. However, a good number have also taken lives, and we need to call out that criminal element in policing. I chose this topic because criminal cops and the police forces that protect them hurt society. They cause trauma, injury, and even death to our loved ones. Even for those victims of police racism, misogyny, and violence that do survive, their lives can be forever impacted by bogus criminal charges and jail time imposed on victims who try to defend themselves. And we can't forget about the families. The families of these victims are also devastated by police actions. They suffer irreparable harm, and there is little attention paid to those that are left behind. This has to stop. We have enough violence in society without having to worry about it from police officers. When we get to a place where women in our communities don't want to call the police because, quote, they either rape you or arrest you, we know it's long past time to address this. And if I can't appeal to your sense of morality, what about your pocketbook? Criminal cops cost money. In Canada alone, there's Billions of dollars worth of individual lawsuits and class actions against the RCMP. And that doesn't include the many claims against other police forces in Canada or the United States. And guess who pays for all of this? Who pays for the salaries of police officers on months or years of leave while they're being investigated? Who pays for their lawyers to fight charges all the way to the highest courts? And who pays the bill to compensate victims? We do, not the police, not police unions, and not government. We the taxpayers and victims are the ones who foot the bill for police criminality. In other words, we're paying for our own oppression. Police officers not only abuse their own officers, especially female officers, They represent a serious public safety concern. Indigenous women and girls have long reported being sexually assaulted by police, and Indigenous men and boys are far more likely to be targeted, brutalized, and or killed by police than any other segment of society. And according to the statistics, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police are one of the worst offenders. And that's why we're taking a look at them first. And it's also long past time to confront the thin blue line, the many thousands of officers, leaders, and unions that protect crooked cops. Decades of cultural sensitivity and gender sensitivity training courses have failed to end police criminality. And that's because the problem was never our culture or our gender. The problem is crooked cops protecting other crooked cops empowered by crooked leaders. Shining a light on the dark side of policing and getting rid of crooked cops is the only way, the only hope of restoring the public trust. Police agencies and unions ought to pay attention as well. This podcast speaks directly to you. The police mantra of to protect and serve has all but lost real meaning in society. Individual officers who care about human rights and the well being of communities are leaving police forces in droves, and recruiters are seeing a drop in new applications. Police forces will be their own undoing if they don't act now. Ironically, the very thing that could save the RCMP is the thing they avoid at all costs public accountability. So who should listen to this podcast? Well, this podcast is for people who enjoy educational podcasts about history, society, law, public policy, and of course, true crime. If you don't mind, true crime turned on its head. Ultimately, Criminals on Patrol is for people who care about social justice, human rights, public safety, and police accountability as well as those who care very deeply about the health, safety, and well-being of our communities. The stories of former police officers you will hear in this podcast are compelling. So too are the lived experiences of Indigenous land defenders criminalized and harassed by the police, or the racial profiling experienced by the Black community every single day. This podcast is going to be the best place to get an overview of the many reports addressing police criminality, corruption, and cover-ups, the kind of information you might not see or hear in classrooms or in the media. Why me? Why did I want to host this podcast? Well, I have a story to tell. In fact, I have many stories to tell police abuses that have impacted me personally. I've also been touched by the impacts of police interactions with my family, friends, and our many communities. And I think it's important for you to know how my journey for truth and justice got started. It's a journey I haven't shared with anyone before now. When I was a young girl, I spent all my time playing outside you know back in the day when your mom would send you outside from dawn until dusk well when i wasn't in school that was me outside all the time those were literally the best of times none of us kids ever wanted to go back in the house when we were called in for supper or worse bedtime and i mostly hung out with the boys in my neighborhood because They liked the same things I did. I loved running races, climbing trees, having piggyback battles, hitting big jumps on my bicycle, and winning at marbles. Growing my marble collection to epic proportions. That was the life. Very little interfered in our little world of adventures, not even super hot summer days or bitterly cold ones in the winter. I think the only time we didn't go outside was when it was raining. Mainly because our moms didn't want us to track mud all over the house. As kids, we thought we were invincible. I mostly played with the guys in my neighborhood because they liked doing all of these fun activities. The very things my mother hated me doing. And honestly, I can't blame her because these activities often ended in injuries. Racing up and down hills ended up in a sprained ankle. Taking big jumps on my bicycle ended up with broken front teeth. Playing rough and tumble games with my friends ended in a split lip needing stitches. And so on. I think you get the idea. The guys in my neighborhood were mostly white guys because we lived off reserve at the time. When I was very young, my family lived just off reserve near my home community of Eel River Bar First Nation. But then we moved to the city for better educational and work opportunities. I didn't live on the reserve until I was a teenager. But every so often, Native kids would move into the neighborhood and that's when the fun started. I learned how to take bigger jumps on my bike and make really cool forts in the woods but the Native kids also had stories to tell that would inform my view of the world in a very different way. I came from a big Mi'kmaq family of eight sisters and three brothers, most of whom were Native rights activists who were always educating for our people. They literally taught me everything I know, and they helped teach me what I needed to know about our culture, our history, and how to fight for our rights as Native people. My siblings naturally filtered out some of the bad stuff, some of the very worst of our history and current realities. But the Native guys in my neighborhood? They didn't. I got the straight goods from them. They shared stories about things that happened to their parents or their extended family members back home on the rez. I heard horrifying stories about local cops always saying racist things to the kids, cops beating up their dads, or taking their siblings away to live with other families. I didn't understand it all or why that would happen, but I knew I never wanted to come face to face with cops. No matter how brave I was as a young Native girl, I could tell by the tears These native boys held back, whenever they recounted their experiences, that I should heed their warning about the cops. Most of the time we went about our business as kids, finding new adventures. But there was always one thing that scared the hell out of us, and that was when a cop car drove by. Just the sight of a cop car stopped us dead in our tracks and sent us racing into the woods to hide. We didn't even need to communicate with one another it was an automatic fight or flight response and let me tell you we took flight and sometimes i wondered if our feet ever touched the ground i remember time and again seeing a cop card coming towards us in the distance and being huddled with my friends in the woods trying to be as quiet as possible now in reality there was really no way a cop car driving by could see us hiding in the forest. Those woods in our neighborhood, they backed up on a heavily forested park. And we also convinced ourselves that we were shapeshifters and we were invisible to non-native people. So we kind of thought that might also keep us safe from the cops, but that never stopped us from worrying because we may have been invisible in our minds, but we worried that the beating of our hearts would give us away. Seeing police cars, sometimes our hearts beat so loudly in our chests that we sounded like our own drum group at a powwow. I also learned during these very frightening times that holding your breath doesn't actually stop the pounding of your heart. We were always so thankful that the cops didn't carry some kind of magical radar guns that could scan for our heartbeats or we'd be in big trouble. One day, our world of adventures changed. We met up outside to play as we usually did. But one of our native friends wasn't there. And he wasn't there the next day. Or the next. Weeks went by and we wondered what happened to our friend. We wondered if maybe one day he was playing outside alone and forgot to shape shift in a cop song. Or maybe a cop heard his heartbeat and found him in the woods. After many more weeks went by, we heard through the hushed whispers of adults that our friend was gone for good. The cops came to his door and took him away from his family. Soon after that, his family moved away. I never saw him again. It was at that moment that I realized life with my family was not a given, that at any time I could be kidnapped by a cop and taken away forever. As I grew older, I secretly hoped that this fear was really just an overblown fear developed in childhood because I missed my friend. I had even met a few cops at school during parent career days, and they seemed nice enough Intimidating and scary, but nice enough. So maybe my fear was an irrational one, sort of like the monsters under your bed that disappear as you get older. Sadly, with age, that fear became firmly implanted in my heart when I learned that cops have been stealing children from native families for generations. It was literally their job to take us away. Literally, their job. Police were probably the first representatives of Canadian authority of the British Empire, all that stuff. And they shut down the whiskey trade almost overnight. They were probably only, I don't know, 270, 300 Mounties at first. The Mounties, I honestly think that for the first decade of their tenure here in the West, they were, from what the documents say, had good relations with First Nations people. I don't think there has been enough written about the RCMP and their role acting as Truman officers, taking children to residential and day schools, which I talk about in in my work, arresting parents who refuse to send children to these government-funded schools or church-run schools. Or one of the examples that I look at is residential school burnings for arsons, right? The goal of the RCMP was not to investigate why children as young as eight would want to burn down their school to escape, but rather to to track children down, find them, punish them, and make them accountable for that. And so, you know, they play that particular role in enforcing. Were the RCMP and its earlier iteration of the Northwest Mounted Police friends to Native peoples? Or were the RCMP enforcers in the colonial project to get rid of the Indian problem once and for all? Join me next week for the season premiere of Criminals on Patrol to hear from experts like Dr. James Daschuk and Dr. Sean Carlton to help us answer these questions as we start our investigation into the RCMP. In the meantime, you can find additional resources on our website at www.criminalsonpatrol.com. And don't forget to like, comment, share, and subscribe to this podcast and help us build our audience. We also appreciate any five-star ratings and reviews. And you can send us comments about what you think we should include in this podcast. And because we don't have access to millions of dollars like the police do in their PR budgets. We rely on the support of listeners like you. You can find our links to our Patreon, Buy Me A Coffee and Ko-fi apps in the description box below or on our website. And don't forget, the Warrior Life Podcast is coming back in the fall. So stay tuned. Thank you all for listening.